This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay are joined by Underground Incorporated director Sean Katz to review Endless Bummer by My Head. It doesn't quite work. It still ends up being like six flavors of vanilla. I, f- I fell into a trance. I described it as bubblegum grunge in the fondest way possible. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, uh, this is a special episode for us. Did you know that? Uh, I did. This is our first... Well, wait a minute. Why is it special, Jay? Because uh, it's Tuesday? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, it's actually Wednesday, Jay. Oh, shit. That's right. <laughs> I'm so used to doing this on Tuesday, I just assumed. Yes. Uh, no, well, that's not the, the special reason is not your dementia that's early onset dementia that's coming in. You don't know what day it is. It's actually that we're making our first around the world call uh, via Skype and speaking. And I did some I did some calculations on a globe and I figure that if you drill from Columbus, Ohio, straight through the globe, you end up in this guy's backyard. Really? Yes. In Australia. So we're we're. Going to be joined on this podcast by our first ever Australian guest, Mr. Sean Katz. Sean, how are hey, you? Hey, guys. How you doing? We're doing well. Now, we're having you on for two reasons. Uh, one is to review a record, which you suggested, but also to talk about a project that you are launching um, that coincides very well with our podcast. Can you give us a little bit of information on this special project? The film is Underground Incorporated, and it's a, it's a music documentary which sort of looks into all the bands that were outside of the Seattle scene during the early to mid-90s. And there were, there were so many bands that the music buying public just didn't find out about it. and and there's a bigger story behind why that happened but you know if you're into all those bands that sort of no one you feel sometimes like no one else has heard about and you're like why is it that this band never became massive that's kind of where the film's head at is it is so um it's going to look at all those bands that you love from the early 90s that maybe weren't as big as they should have been now you're not just doing this on a whim. You have a background in filmmaking, correct? No, I uh, I've made a, a couple of um, I've made a couple of short films. I've done some music videos for bands, and um, and the the last film that I've done uh, it, it won a won a couple of awards. Like it won um, best director at Canada Film Festival short film at Las Vegas Film Festival, a couple of other awards. So um, I, um, you know, I have had some luck with the uh, with the films and the music videos so far, and um, this will be my first feature film, a documentary when I say feature film, but it'll be about something that I'm really, really into. How are you funding this project? Is it my leading question uh, for... Uh you to answer at this point <laughs> it's my bad uh, my bad segue can you talk a little <laughs> bit about your your funding process i'm funding it through kickstarter and um basically the page will be launching just around about the time that this podcast goes live so 
Um, I've had a lot of positive interest for the project, so I'm, I'm looking forward to having all the, the fans of this kind of music, you know, really get excited over this film because, you know, there's you'll find that these bands are all connected in one way or another and everyone who's into this music is really into this music. So that was my se segue into the tangent. So now, so the Kickstarter will be up by the time this episode goes up. In the meantime, yeah. well, not in the meantime, but the, people should also go to your Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash underground incorporated and they'll be able to see i think you put up some a, a minute or two of footage that you've shot already and it'll have a link to the kickstarter from there and then you also be able to go from our page to the kickstarter um for that so we need to talk about the album that you suggested okay. that's why we're here is yeah. to, to review albums you suggested a band that jay and i i believe were neither of us were familiar with Am I correct, Jay? That's absolutely right. Yeah, it's called My Head, and the album is Endless Bummer. So, Sean, how did you stumble upon this album? I was working in a record store, and um, the the owner of the store was, he loved all this sort of music that you guys talk about on your podcast, and he was, he had a fascination for finding the most obscure side projects and super groups and which is you know how i got into you know you know handsome and brad and my head and all these bands that are always like a side project for someone else and he showed me this album he's like it's awesome you need to listen to this right now so that's how i found out about it well this would be a good point now to get to our patented history of the band History of the Band. So my head formed in Los Angeles, California in 1993 by guitarist Adam Siegel and drummer Greg Sienez, Sienez, S-A-E-N-Z-E. Not sure how to pronounce that exactly, but they put out one album on... Uh, it was on Capitol. Capitol, called Endless Bummer. And for the album... I don't think he was originally a member of the band. I think they added him later. Uh, bass player David Silva was brought on board. Um, so Siegel was on guitar and lead vocals. Now, they have uh, some of the members of this band have connections to other bands. Mostly, uh, Adam Siegel was in Infectious Grooves. And, Jay, you know about Infectious Grooves, correct? I do. I think right. I've seen them live at least once, maybe twice. You want to tell who's who's beside Adam Siegel? Who else is in that band? Uh, the singer from Suicidal Tendencies, Mike. What's his last name? Can't remember his last name. Uh, the drummer Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction is a drummer, yep. and the bass player is the guy from Metallica, Robert Trujillo. Yeah, yeah. So they're kind of a they were like a super group, sort of in a way. I don't know if they were really at the time because. Robert Trujillo wasn't in Metallica at the time, but yeah, so they have connections to suicidal tendencies. So they put out the one album on Capitol, like I mentioned, Endless Bummer, and it was released in April 96, and the band broke up at uh, in January of 98. So one and done for my head. We've seen it before. It won't be the last time. Anything to add on the history of the band there, Sean, that you might know? Well, um, like you said, it's got a lot of 
cool musicians. Like it's got Mike D from Suicidal Tendencies. But um, one thing also is that uh, Adam Siegel was also um, for a couple of albums he played guitar in the Eels as well. Hmm. I yeah. did not know that. And um, Adam Siegel, he's got a he's got a really interesting uh, list of credits. He mainly just um, mixes albums at this point. I noticed that he's got a credit on a Soulfly album. He he must have written one of the guitarists for them or something. And um, the other thing is that um, him and Greg Sains were actually in a band in the eighties called XL, which were like this LA hardcore punk thrash sort of band and so he he sort of would have left XL and he would have joined Infectious Grooves Adam Siegel I'm talking about and then when he did his own thing on my head I think he just got Greg Sainz from XL and I don't know where David Silver was playing before but you know there just was those three guys in that band and they had this huge sound on there. I mean, for a three-piece band, man, they have this really rocking sound. Well, I think that covers everything for this for this short history of the band. I want to remind people that if they want to suggest a band, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com to our request to review page. And this is where we give our, uh, our Facebook feedback section, and we got one comment on our Facebook feedback, and it's a doozy. <laughs> I'm, I'm remembering this. Yes. So it's from Frank Marvel, and his question was, where do you guys even find some of these bands? Not speaking to talent or lack thereof, just what did this sell? 1,437 copies? There's literally only four mentions on all of Google about this band. Also, I wonder which fast food chain the A&R wizard who signed these guys is working in now. Does this song even have a hook? He's speaking of Humbucker because that was the uh, video that I put up. Is this a high school jam band covering super drag with a wonky Clapton guitar spaz in the middle? I'd imagine the primitive radio gods B-side collection, don't worry, that doesn't actually exist, is more worthwhile than this. So Frank Marvel, not a fan of uh, my head, comparing it unfavorably to... Uh, well, I'm surprised you mentioned the primitive radio gods. I, I, that... <laughs> well, I think uh, Frank might be missing the point of this podcast. <laughs> sort of questioning how many albums it sold and like how obscure it is it's like well i appreciate his, his review of the album I, it's kind of actually pretty entertaining but frank that's the point of the show i'm fairly <laughs> certain be, uh, we reviewed an be, album that was never released on cd that was <laughs> only released reviewing, on reviewing uh uh alice in chains or uh nirvana so you know the point of this yeah. is to, to find you know obscure stuff that we that most people the general public miss the first time and in a lot of cases, sometimes music geeks miss the first time and, right. and talk about. It, so, but good review. <laughs> I did like uh, the uh, the four mentions on Google. That's pretty funny because I'm pretty sure it's almost impossible to only have four mentions on Google. That's like that's like you're trying not to get mentioned on Google. Well, it, when you're when the name of your band is My Head, your Google ranking is not going to be good. True. I think we found. <laughs> We found that with some uh, with some '90s bands that pick names that are just, you know, the most pedestrian, you know, noun. Like live. Imagine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go search live on Google. See what you come up with. I'm Chicago sure and, and Alabama high. and any any band named after a state or city or right. country. 
Anyway, all right, so that's that's the Facebook feedback. Let's get into this album. So neither of us were familiar with it. Sean's obviously a big supporter of this record. But what it comes down to is judgment, our unimpeachable judgment. So, Jay. Yeah. My head. Was this album an endless bummer or was it a stunner? Oh, Wow. I, I, this is my favorite part of the show now, waiting to see what, what your setup's going to be. What horrible setup I'm going <laughs> to deliver to you. <laughs> what awful pun or yeah, a segue. Um, oh, this, this one was, um, it took me a while. It took me a while to, to, uh, to kind of figure this album out. You know, this is a band that I don't have issues with uh, sort of the sound of the band and the overall um, approach um, in terms of... Um, you know, three piece, big riffs. You know, I like that. Pretty straightforward. You know, vocal that can get kind of snarly at times, which is cool. You know, Dave Grohl style drumming. You know, where it's pretty much, it's it's sort of from a punk school, but with a, um, you know, a, a John Bonham kind of backbeat to it. So it's you know aggressive and bashing, but it's still got some some soul to it, I guess, or some some underbelly or kick kick drum to it, but. You know, when it comes to the songwriting, I was, I was a little lost. This album kind of tries, maybe I would say four to six different styles of of, of songwriting and approach. Um, yeah, and some of it works better than others. So I think it goes from sort of pedestrian, middle of the road, you know, '90s grunge sounding stuff to like I, I would call grunge pop. You know, uh, like Nirvana with a little bit less, I guess, attitude um, or angst. And then it goes into things like Killer Hair and Teenage Foxes, which are, you know, pretty pretty straight attempts to do like Red Cross style power pop. Yeah, with, I said the same you know, thing in my notes. Heavy guitar, which I think Killer Hair works pretty well. I think Teenage Foxes is kind of silly. I would like to meet Teenage Foxes. Kinda like to eat a blow pops. You see me on the street, looking spicy. My condo's by the beach, it's really cool. And then there's things like Humbucker, which is probably my favorite song on the record, but it sounds like Black Rebel Motorcycle Club in that it's, you know, kind of a blues based, um, got, you know, reverby guitar, John Bonham sounding drums, it kind of a, you know, a real just kind of raw sounding bluesy influenced, you know, rock song. And then you have something like, um, I think it's, is it Nesbitt? With the metal ending. Yeah, and, and you know, it's sort of it, so you get into these metal or punk 
element. So I don't know. I just had a hard time. And, and the thing I think that's weird about it is that, um, you know, the t the sound of the band stays consistent over over all this material, which I think in the past, you know, we've we've sort of found that to be if you're going to try to do a range of, of styles, that that's probably the best way to do it. So keep the format of the sound the same. But it still doesn't do it doesn't quite work it still ends up being like six flavors of vanilla you know what i mean none of it really for me um really cuts through and kind of establishes the what the sound of this band is or what their what their i don't know point of view is so i'm, I'm a little bit i'm a little bit lost on this one well, this would be a good point to bring in Sean, because Sean is the suggestor for this particular album. When you originally mentioned this album, Sean, you used the phrase bubblegum grunge. Oh, yeah. Can you expand on that, what you were, what exactly you meant in terms of the that sound for this record? Because I think we were getting there with songs like Killer Hair and Teenage Foxes. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I described it as bubblegum grunge in, in, the, in the fondest way possible. I mean, it, it's, it's just... For me, it's one of my favorite rock albums ever. It's this cool, like, surf, punk, pop sound, and and the band is super tight. Like, um, Adam Siegel, his guitar playing has just got so much personality, and there's so much character that comes through in his playing. And and man, the 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 band, like, they'll be rolling along on a song like Nesbitt's or Sunriser, which is my favorite track on the album. And then there'll be these like tempo shifts, these like rhythmic shifts, which will go like, for example, Carnosaur, the first track on the album, it does this like Led Zeppelin-esque, the song remains the same uh, kind of structure where it has this like really fast, wicked riff just straight out the gate and then it'll just completely changes it's like rhythmic tempo by this album because sure at the surface it kind of comes across like it's a it's another grunge album but it's got it's just got so much character and it's not really trying to 
it's not really trying to wow anyone with the musicianship or the writing, which which does wow me personally. But it's it's more about the personality of the album. You know, it's 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 that album where you're at the beach or where you, you know you're you're trying to get your hair perfect or you're doing up your car, you're falling off your skateboard, and those are most of the things that the songs on this album are about. Like it's just got the weirdest lyrical content on the album. But uh, it's all about the attitude and the personality. I, I love his guitar playing. I love how tight the band is. I love how big the sound is for a three-piece band. And I love these constant sort of rhythmic shifts that they do and, and, and that surf punk pop sound that they have. I think one of the things I, I picked up on, especially with tracks, once I hit tracks three and four, is how much work the bass player is doing. It's really carrying a lot of the melody on this band. I don't know if you picked up on that, Jay, or not, but he's it's pretty frantic, some of his bass playing, yeah. sort of tying together what's going on with the guitar and what's going on with the drums. Um, I kind of feel like he's sort of like the hidden secret weapon in this band. I'm sort of in between you guys. I, I really enjoyed a lot of the music, but I think my weakest point is the vocal. It's not even the lyrics. It's just that his vocal is not as distinct as I would like it to be. Yeah. Um, I, I think it would have helped a lot if somebody was harmonizing with him on, on more of this record or at all, because his vocal is just, it's a little thin and it doesn't, you know, it just, on those, especially on those power pop songs, which is essentially what they are, like Killer Hair and Teenage Foxes, that's where, if, if the, I think if more of the album was in that direction with those hooks, and, and focusing more attention to the vocal, I think this could have been, an, in my opinion, a really awesome record. Whereas in the way it is now, I kind of see it as there's some a little bit of missed opportunity just in terms of the vocal in a lot of the record. Uh, yeah, I want to agree with with Sean on the guitar playing. I, I do think um, there's some great riffs on here. Uh, that's not you know something I'll I will definitely admit, and I enjoy. Um, like Carnosaur, I love that halftime part. But uh, unfortunately, and I love the the intro riff. Unfortunately, the verse is based on sort of this two chord, mm-hmm. kind of unoriginal riff that is the majority of the song. And I think I find that I don't know for me that there there'll be like one part I like or two parts I like, but there's a third or fourth stuck in there that doesn't really mesh very well. Um, like uh, I'm thinking of uh, track four, Fall. There's a riff in the middle of that song that's amazing because, like uh, you were saying, Tim, the the bass is so important to this band. And there's this riff in the middle where the bass player and the guitar player all of a sudden lock up and they play the same thing, you know, and they kind of do a harmony almost on this really cool riff. And it's one of those moments like, oh, wow, I wish that happened more. You know, I wish there was an interplay that, you know, maybe even a formula where it was sort of like they would lock up and then fall apart and lock up and fall apart, you know, and and start to make a little bit more sense of some of the, I think the tempo shifts um, and and, and changes that obviously work for Sean, but, you know, for me, I've found them a little bit, I don't know, uh, I don't want to say contrived, but they just weren't fully resolved, I guess, for me.
mentioned Humbucker and, and sort of the, the Black Rebel Motor Club connection. The band that I thought of with that that sort of mid-tempo feel and there was like that bluesy twang in the guitar is um, Cage the Elephant. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that band, but they kind of work in that same mm-hmm. style of, of... And to me, actually listening to Cage the Elephant, they totally sound like a band that could have exi- existed during the 90s. And that song is the most timeless on the record. I mean, isn't yeah. it? I mean, when you listen to that song, you're like, I don't know, this might have came out in the 90s. It may have come out, you know, yesterday. I don't, you know, there's nothing about it that you can really pinpoint when exactly that came out or could have came out, you know, when Black, uh, Black Rebel came out, which was, you know, 10 mm-hmm. years ago or whatever, 12 years ago. It could have, it's sort of, a, it's more of a classic, just even the, the, the vocal phrasing is a little bit more, you know, it harkens to other references or maybe how you would structure a blues song in terms of, you know, how he's, how he's doing the verse and just the tone of it. And it comes across to me a lot more timeless than a lot of this other material does. think of log oh log is awesome can i can i tell you what, can i tell you what i love about log tell May us I? yes okay um i love that like, the album is just so like frivolous throughout the entire thing it's all just about like this kind of this this personality or this character that's just uh, you know like the the sort of the sort of like the burnout skater kind of personality that it's got and then as you go through the albums, the songs get a little bit darker, like on Sunrise, he starts, that growl starts coming out his vocals. And then by Nesbitt's, sorry, not Nesbitt's, on um, Don't Waste My Time, well, I think it's I Don't Want Nothing, it gets a little bit darker again, but it's still got this lightweight, kind of bouncy, fun sort of feel about it. And then... Out of nowhere, you just got Log, which is this, just this uh, chant of death. It's like this mantra that they're just repeating over and over, like the world is about, like the apocalypse is coming. And it's just it's just so unexpected that I, <laughs> I, I, I just think it's awesome. I did find it, it's not that this album's repetitive, because they definitely change up the styles, but I did find it, little bit refreshing to go to a completely different style by that point in the record i was like oh well at least this is different i don't know if i like it but i know it's different and i'm happy to get a different taste 
from this band. It's a little weird, and I'm okay with that, but it's not that long, so I can, you know. It's four minutes. Is it four minutes? It doesn't feel like it's yeah, four minutes to me. It's the third longest song on the album. Oh, weird. <laughs> 402. I guess I got lost I... in the chanting. <laughs> you started stomping around the house and chanting. I did. I, my eyes started rolling back in my head, and I started... I, I fell into a trance. It's funny that you mentioned uh, I Don't Want Nothing, because that's the song I kind of have a, a love-hate relationship with, in that the verses sound a lot like Nirvana Bleach era. Yeah. And then the chorus is going to this like halftime, trippy... The vocals are way down in the mix. I think they're like you know, EQ down or something like that. And there's a lot, there's a little bit of that um, from song to song where they do like little trippy parts, whether it's adding like um, a guitar effect or doing something to the vocal or I, I kind of felt like, oh, I wish they had gone a little more straightforward with that song because it was, I really like those verses and it's not terribly complex or anything, but it's just, it's got a good energy to it. I guess that was the thing that, besides the vocal, the other thing that threw me was Sometimes their choices in terms of production and like where they were going to throw a weird psychedelic moment, I didn't necessarily, wasn't expecting it and it sort of felt a little forced. That That's one in particular where it sort of bothered me. Well, that... The production doesn't have any like, I don't know, for me it doesn't have much character. Like it doesn't seem to have, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be working to really serve the songs. I almost wonder if it was produced with a little bit more point of view on how to sort of capture this band best. It, I mean, it kind of sounds like, okay, they're a three-piece, so we turn some mics on and let them play and then captured it. And for, for some bands, that works fine. Um, but for, I think, this material where they're changing styles um, and trying, you know, in different directions and stuff, maybe, you know, a different approach on production, maybe something that it could get a little bit more intimate at times. So when they do effects like that, it kind of pulls you in. And then they can, you know, kick in the distortion and kind of blow your ears off uh, at other points. But it, I don't know. For me, it kind of uh, it's always like at the same level, you know. It, yeah, that makes sense. Well, there's one point where they do in the song "Positive," um, the chorus guitar. It sounds like it's like a direct-in guitar. Like it's way yeah. louder. It's really and, weird. Yeah, but I kind of I didn't mind that it was sticking out. I mean, yeah. But it do, yeah, I mean, it kind of, I, I don't love the sound of it, but it does do what I was saying. At least no, I, the tone isn't there. great. It's a little brittle, but no. it, do, it has its it has its purpose, and it, it works that purpose. And then the other one the song I wanted to mention, um, which Sean also mentioned, is Don't Waste My Time, which I think is, like, based around blues riffs, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I thought I was listening to, like, a Stevie Ray Vaughan metal yeah. song. Yeah, yeah. It's like a yeah, you're, it's like a, a Texas blues kind of feel in, in some aspects, you know. It's yeah, like the Stevie. fabulous Thunderbirds. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was trying to figure like come up with the right way to phrase that, and I think you're right. It's like the Stevie Ray Vaughan fabulous Thunderbirds Texas blues kind of vibe on on how the it's like the second half of the riff plays out and sort of mm-hmm. the drum sound or the drum beat around it. Which again is like kind of from out of nowhere, <laughs> and the tone of the guitar is is pretty like metalish sounding, but it's playing like this Texas blues riff, which is it's kind of odd.
So, Sean, when you're when you've got this album and you have, you know, you've got to try to explain to somebody without them hearing it what this band sounds like. Are you do you lean more towards that it sounds more like a grunge record or is it more in the pop I don't want to say pop metal cuz that's that brings up a whole other connotation. But is it more in like the pop. alternative pop rock, you know, the Red Cross Mud Honey and well Mud Honey's grunge, I guess. That's going to be Pixies, I don't know. What are you looking for here? Yeah, yeah. I guess like, yeah. How, how do you how do you explain this record? Because I, I I tried to uh, you know every once in a while my my wife will actually inquire what what the hell I'm doing with this podcast. And I'll say, <laughs> oh, we're we're doing this band because she records the intros, and she's like, well, what do they sound like? And I'll be like, oh, that's that's you know it's sort of lo-fi indie, you know, garage rock. And then I'll try to describe another one, and this one was a little bit tough because it does have elements of. I guess '90s grunge, but it's working in some other with some other <laughs> colors or other styles. And I'm just wondering if you ever have difficulty trying to pin it down when you're trying to get somebody to listen to it, or or you just throw it on and say, "Screw it, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna explain. You have to hear it." I mean, it's definitely doing the grunge thing, but in a totally different way. I mean, you mentioned to me before outside of the call that you thought the album had quite a bit of bit more melody than you were expecting and <clears throat> if I had to describe it I'd call it like like skater or surf punk pop I mean it's once again you know it's it's about the the attitude of the album I mean <clears throat> I happen to think that the players the three dudes in on this record happen to be super tight musicians when they when they sink in and they lock into one another with those tempo shifts but <clears throat> I think um you know trying to <clears throat> pigeonhole the, the the genre or whatever it kind of gives you an opportunity to kind of overlook what the best part of the album is all about which is just all about the the general personality of the album that's what I think. Did it, Tim? Did it make you think of the band Smile at all? Any it did. Of the rest or some of and that's things? another California band. Um, yeah. So that, that gave me. I was trying to think. I, I knew that there was a band that this reminded me of, and I couldn't quite pin it down in my brain what I had listened to before. But that's probably it, because Smile had that like heaviness, but without being metal. They were kind and, of like a a stoner rock early stoner rock band right with a little bit of a grungy kind of pop twist to it yeah sean are you familiar with smile um i'm not familiar with smile but um i actually um can i ask one of you guys a question sure go um, ahead. are you uh, which one of you is a bigger fan of infectious grooves oh i'm not a fan of infectious grooves i've just seen them live a couple times <laughs> I- i've never heard them i don't even know yeah. what they sound like they like okay. toured with 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 Ozzy Osbourne or somebody in the '90s that I ended up seeing them. Wow, that's, that's <laughs> a jump! Imagine Infectious Grooves opening up for Ozzy Osbourne. You got like one yeah. fast, one slow. Uh, but I, I was just gonna say that if you know, for anyone who's listening to this podcast, <clears throat> if you're a fan of Infectious Grooves, you'll probably know that one of their 
that trademarks aside from that like big funk bass that they put in there is these really wild uh, guitar parts and that's Adam Siegel you know he writes his songs in infectious grooves for the for the guitar parts anyway and I mean I mentioned that you got this weird lyrical content about you know getting your hair right or you know picking up chicks and and the album will have like these wacky samples that they'll throw in there which always puts a smile on my face I mean it's definitely you know having a good time kind of music but um if you like the kind of attitude that you know how infectious grooves throws out those guitar riffs you're probably gonna like my head because they it's more about the, the 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 delivery and the kind of the what it what it evokes in terms of um you know what scene you identify with so you know if that makes sense, you know, I'm just going to stop there. No, I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the, and the, the California thing comes through, you know. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you've, you've seen what the cover looks like. It's got, it's like they're stuck in some weird, like candy house and they're looking through the window. And I mean, if you open up the, the booklet for, for the artwork, and by the way, I just want to say that Adam Siegel, he does all the artwork on the album and he did all the artwork for all the Infectious Grooves albums and all the artwork for the Suicidal Tendencies albums that had an animated cover, like the cover on Freedom, that's Adam Siegel's drawing there. And um, man, he, he just strikes me as a really cool dude, you know, like playing the guitar, singing, drawing the cover and it's clearly his thing you know you're in his show and and whatever his personality or his attitude is like as a person i'm guessing probably comes through really strong in this album which is what appeals to me so much about it well i think this is as good a time as any to get to our sweet sweet rating system our worthy album better ep or decent single where we we lay down our final judgment on this record. We've, <laughs> we've said as much as we can about my head and the album and this bummer. So Jay, where are you at? Yeah. Worthy album, better EP, decent single. I'm at a better EP. I could probably get to, uh, you know, get four or five songs from here that, that, uh, I feel pretty good about and would want to hear a lot. I'm I'm, a, I'm also, but I'm teetering on the album. I'm at about seven songs out of the twelve that I would put into heavy rotation on my various, you know, electronic devices for listening pleasure. But there's just a few moments in where I kind of I don't love it, so I'm gonna leave it. Um, the highlights for me are definitely the the ones that get the most that get the closest to the Red Cross phase shifter, which I you brought that album to the second season and I really liked it and never stopped listening to it. And when they hit that, like Sean mentioned that I mentioned that, that melody, the combination of, of melody and, and angu- the guitar work and it just works for me. And killer hair to me is the key track on this record for me. Humbucker's close, but I think it's killer hair is the, is the song for me. So, 
Sean, um, I'm going to take a wild guess and say you're not at a better EP, that you're at a worthy album. Am I right? I'm at a most worthy album. It, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit that you guys didn't get into this album <laughs> just as much as I would have liked to have, to have gotten into. Um, I mean, I've been listening to this album for oh, a long time. I've, I've had it for a good 15 years or so, and um, it's definitely an album that you have to to grow into. I mean, um, I think you guys maybe heard this album about, you know, two weeks ago or something like that. And um, I would suggest that, you know, you know, it it might be a grower for you guys, but um, yeah, I'm going to say it's, um, it's a pretty strong, it's a pretty strong album for me. I mean, uh, you mentioned that you found Teenage Foxes a little bit silly. Yeah. You know, it is a little bit silly, but um, I liked it. I it's it's a guilty pleasure as far as silly songs go. So I'm gonna give it like twelve tracks out of twelve tracks because I've had all the time to, you know, really get into the album and you know, pick apart every little bit piece by piece. And that's yeah, that's that that's what I get out of it. You know what's and, weird um, about Teenage Foxes is that if I just listen to that song out of the context of the record, I probably wouldn't think it was silly like i would think oh this is just a fun pop song i you know <laughs> i kind of get it but because it's right after log which is like this really dark strange album track of like chanting and you know kind of almost like in tool territory and then it's followed up with this you know pop song with with a synth in it <laughs> like what the hell so I think the contrast of those two, it kind of amplifies both. Like Log comes off darker than maybe it is, and Teenage Foxes comes off sugary than maybe it even is. So that's uh, that's really that's actually a really good point. I mean, maybe if the track listing had been a bit different. I mean, look, I I'm, I'm really trying to um, get in touch with what you guys are saying. I'm trying to like identify with where you're coming from and. Um, you know, maybe it's got to do with how long you've kind of lived with the album for. Yeah. But um, the you mentioned the stand. Which did you mention was the standout track for you again, um, Tim? I, I really like Killer Hair. Uh, Humbucker was number two after that, but I, I really enjoyed the, you know, them opening up the melody end of the with with Killer Hair, um, and then the the sort of like Jay mentioned that Black Rebel sort of twangy bluesy guitar of uh, of humbucker i will say that we've you know in the history of this show we have angered more than a few people with <laughs> our reviews the fact that you're just disappointed that we don't love it as much as you do is a far cry from the letters of vitriol that we've received because we um slammed band of susans or uh, walt mink Hey, look, I've got no, I've got no issue with what you think of the album. I find it a bit of an endless bummer, maybe, but it's, it's <laughs> from, from sending like death threats over. But I was just gonna say, uh, you mentioned um, "Killer Hair" as the standout track. I, I reckon the standout track on this is "Sunriser" because it's just like it's almost like a different side of his personality comes out in that because. There are a couple of different things in that. It sort of, it goes, 
kind of a bit more in a medley direction than some of the other songs have done previously and there's a darker feel to that song and it's got that a cool sort of acoustic bit of guitar which sort of threads itself through like the electric guitar's leads and it's it suddenly just goes you just get like a glimpse of you know what'll come up later in log kind of thing so i i think the whole album kind of leads up to sunrise and then heads away from it so i i clearly um maybe hear a different album but i love it perfect album. not perfect but very very close to perfect for me i really think it's cool and that's what's uh, great about the show is that nobody's right yet everybody's right <laughs> you know <laughs> like yeah you know it's music subjective so we all can you know share opinions on here and it's always fun to hear like what people think in the comments because to me that's you know the show continues there you know it's just me and tim bring the album to the table or in this case sean brought it to us we kind of put it out there and everybody has an opportunity to take a listen and you know chime in just as just and their opinions are just as valid as ours are so so i will say as a caveat uh caveat whatever uh i did enjoy listening to this in the car when i was driving i thought this was a good car album um it has an energy to it that I did like. But when I said, I think the problem was when I sat down and started dissecting it. That's when, which is often the case, I think. And Jay, you'll agree with me. Yeah. Sometimes yeah, things yeah. work in the aggregate, but when you start separating them, they don't. You start picking out flaws that you might hear, or you know, all of a sudden you start paying attention to the the order, and that oh, yeah. might be the there, case with with this album. There's songs that. I probably both of us, you know, may bring to the to the show or or you know resurrect ourselves in our own listening that we loved, you know, and then we listen to it now with sort of the point of view from a reviewer or you know doing the podcast, and all of a sudden you kind of don't like it as much when you when you start breaking it apart. So it's kind of the right. unfortunate thing of doing this is uh, it forces you to listen to music in a way that maybe it's not intended to be listened to, you know. Yeah. All right, well, we got to wrap things up here because it's getting late. It's going to replug uh, your Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com backslash underground incorporated. And then remind everybody that as of this podcast launching, uh, you'll be able to go to the Kickstarter uh, webpage and help get Underground Incorporated off the ground. And yeah. you can do that by going to um, our website as well, digmeoutpodcast.com. We'll have a link. And, uh, yeah, so that's it. That's the show. That's my head. Endless bummer. Not complete agreement, but there never really is complete agreement on this show. So that's just the way it goes. If, um, if, if anyone out there wants an indication of how much I like this album, I actually have tracked down a signed copy of the album. So <laughs> apparently wow. that is enough to me to actually bother to track down like who the, not only who the hell would actually have the album, but because it's a pretty obscure album at this point, but who would have like a signed copy? Like, I want one of those. Is That's this cool. available to listen anywhere? Do you know, Tim? I think it's on Last FM. Okay. So yeah. go there, check it out, and yeah, post some comments. All right, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. And yes, um, thanks for um, thanks for having me. And it's 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 been fun. It's been fun. I've 
kind of felt like we were talking about a, a different album at times, but it has been <laughs> I understand. Sometimes Jay and I are talking about different albums when we're doing reviews. Um, and, of course, we'll stay in contact about the Kickstarter campaign for Underground Incorporated, and um, you'll be hearing about that uh, on future episodes as this campaign continues to get the movie funded and then off the ground. So... I'm going to wrap things up here for Sean in Australia, for Jay down the road, like 10 minutes away. Um, I am Tim, your Dig Me Out host, saying thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Yeah.